Oi, oi, oi. Welcome, lads. Welcome, lads. Testing one, two, three. Can you guys hear me? Obviously, how's it going? Good, good, good. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Vickers, are you alive? Yeah, all good, bro. <laughs> Kofi, are you good? Yeah, mate. All good, all good. Silence is golden. And are you good? Are you good there? Oh, good, mate. Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, Sisa will jump on uh, while we continue. So I'm not going to waste any time, gents. Welcome. Thanks once again for joining us. Uh, we're going to hit things straight away without wasting any time. Obviously, there's been a lot of uh, chatter around Eddie Jones telling the All Blacks to be careful <laughs> in his post-match uh, analysis or review, uh, a post-match uh, conference as well um, So there's a lot of talking points We're going to start off with the Springboks uh, Looking at dissecting uh, What transpired yesterday In uh, Auckland and then move on To the Wallabies and Argentina uh, Big surprise, big shock In uh, New South Wales um, So obviously looking At that as well The guys get a break this week so Which is good um, Obviously we kind of have We're also going to look at I mean the type of things that might take place during this time off. And then uh, it's Australia against the All Blacks into the following week. And obviously we'll look into and try and tap into those uh, into that aspect as well. Gentlemen, without wasting any, any time, uh, reflecting on yesterday's game, uh, I want, I'm just going to ask around what your guys' thoughts are and then dive into maybe the nitty-gritty aspects of it just basically give me a few pointers of what you thought went well what you thought didn't go well and are you the first one on my list i mean what are your thoughts on the overall game from yesterday between the springboks and the and the all blacks well i think i'll start off by saying that i got this one wrong anyway in, in my uh, prediction <laughs> i said that springboks would win by between five and ten so gotta hold my hand up there yeah uh but to be honest, yeah, the All Blacks just, I think we've all probably seen comments on Twitter about it and read articles about it. They just absolutely dominated those first 20 minutes. Mm. And that's what won the game for me. 
Um, and to be honest, I know we brought it up probably last week when we, we were discussing um, the All Blacks. You really have to look at like Joe Schmidt now and his influence. It's definitely more palpable now. Yeah. I mean, when he was in charge of Ireland, like, and, and you could see this in the game yes, uh, in the game yesterday, they absolutely dominated possession, uh, quick rock ball, very few penalties. Um, I think the box actually can like uh, also the the kicks as well. Like when 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 he was in charge of Ireland, we kicked an awful lot. Same yeah. as the All Blacks yesterday, they kicked twenty eight times versus mm-hmm. Springboks, who only kicked four, uh, fourteen times. Um, as I said, penalties only conceded eight penalties. Were ninety ninety six percent of their own rooks. Um, mm. So I think yeah, we're starting to really see the impact uh, that Joe Schmidt is having on this side, and to me that that's one of the reasons why they definitely won yesterday was was that impact that he's having. We're really starting to to see that now. Yeah, fantastic. The reason why I also started with you on this is because you from Ireland, obviously, you've seen the influence of Joe Schmidt and what and what he has achieved with the Irish team, and obviously now Farrell has taken over, obviously putting. A bits and pieces here and there of his own philosophy and are you seeing obviously you are seeing a bit of that now within this all black side i mean but how sustainable is it i mean to blitz first 20 and then you kind of you don't go away per se but i mean how 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 can teams maintain that for a full 80 uh in terms of that blitz aspect yeah, see, I think that that's that's certainly the issue. Um, but I think, like, if you all remember back uh, to a couple of years ago when Ireland first beat the All Blacks um, in Chicago, that that massive win, yeah. we really kind of put that game away from the outset because we played with such Ireland. I know I'm saying we, like, but Ireland played with such high intensity yeah. uh, from the get go, and they built up such a strong enough lead that it, like the All Blacks just simply couldn't come back. Yeah. So I think it's it's all about you, you. You can't like you simply can't sustain it. I don't think for eighty minutes that that kind of intensity. But what you can do is put teams away. Yeah. And make sure you're you're racking up the, the scoreboard. And I think that's exactly what they did. And and let's be honest, like it wasn't just the first twenty minutes. It did play well for the rest of the game as well. Mm. Like we know, with Springboks had their spells as well. But I think it's it's all about just building that scoreboard pressure. Yeah. Um, and and that that's what I saw while Schmidt was in charge. And I think that that's how the uh, the All Blacks can 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 continue to do this going forward. And Nice, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Scoreboard pressure, very important. Vickers, what are your thoughts uh, looking at that game yesterday? Um, good afternoon, guys. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think Anders pointed out perfectly. I think that first 20 minutes was, was pretty much evident that New Zealand wanted to blow South Africa off the game. And if you notice, even that even when they were ex- their exit kicks was, was different, they were catching the ball on the, with the winger running into contact, playing the forwards one one more phase, and then kicking onto my pimpy's uh, side so and putting pressure on them. Because, I mean, Will Jordan is good in the air, so I would just suspect that they wanted to keep the ball and give him the chance of um, of regaining that position. Yeah. I think also, and in, in, in saying that, so which means now, if uh, if South Africa had won that ball, they would have had to attack from there. They wouldn't They wouldn't have kicked, they probably would attack a couple of phases, yeah. so which would be another a training... Um, uh, energy training um, attack, um, attack or, or play because that's the only thing they wanted to do. They wanted to make sure that South Africa doesn't get that opportunity of slowing down the lineouts, walk into the lineout, get the lineout, drive. So they wanted to take that away for that first 20 minutes and uh, and I think they did it brilliantly. And, I mean, the scrumming also was, was quite, um, in that first half, was quite very, was good by New Zealand. They they still played Channel One ball, but they were keeping it depending on how the pressure was coming. Yeah. So I think overall, I think New Zealand tactically into that game went went uh, the right way. 
Um, I, 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 would, I would love to see if that's going to when we play them in Twickenham. Um, when we play them in Twickenham in one of those warm-up games. I think it's a warm-up game. Yeah. Yeah, so I think overall, I mean, New Zealand were outstanding and South Africa for B, they could have, they, they, that, that second half coming out of the blocks in the second half, uh, counter-racking, blowing the racks, trying to slow the thing, the, the game down, that was also brilliant by South Africa, but obviously it was it was almost like one of those where almost a little bit too late, mm. uh, although we did make our way back into the game. For some reason, I feel we missed Eskom in this game. I think he would have been instrumental if he started this game. True, true. Kofi, your overall uh, outlook? Yeah, good afternoon, everyone. Hope everyone is having a beautiful Sunday. Um, I think my overall outlook is, is, is how I saw it on Friday as well, you know. Uh, 15, 20 points to the All Blacks, which is what actually transpired. Um, came out the gates really quickly. And, you know, at some stage, I think when when Colby kicked that conversion or attempted conversion and he hit the post, I think the Springboks would have been six behind at that stage. This is one score behind, effectively. Yeah. And when he missed that, I thought that in itself was a momentum shift, you know. So I like the way that Fozzie, in his after my, his post-match conference, uh, spoke about ebbs and flows and, and how those ebbs and flows in that game, which are completely evident, how they managed to, you know, um, take that pressure onto him and then, you know, give the pressure when they had to, when they had the ball. Um, I completely agree with, with what Bravik mentioned with regards to the exit. Uh, I think the exit strategy generally, when teams play against South Africa, um, they like to exit, you know, to the near side, whereas the All Blacks would play a phase, get the ball to the middle of the field almost, and then look to exit towards the side where they actually wouldn't put the eighth man. So you generally have, you know, mm. Mueller or Visa who are quite good under the high ball and able to bring that ball back before South Africa obviously get into um, their counter-attack slash um, kicking game, if you yeah. have that. Um, I thought it was quite disappointing, uh, the use of Damien Willems at 10. Um, I thought that you know he could have been better utilised in that position, but... Um, we'll get obviously onto that a little bit more as we as we take the conversation further. But yeah. very nice start from the All Blacks. Nice to see them being able to nullify what the box can do, but also present what they are good at as well. So, yeah, it was a nice nice game to see. Um, it would have been interesting if there were a couple of changes made initially. Um, but, I mean, that's all. We have the benefit of hindsight to talk about that. So, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, the biggest All Black supporter... Jane. Jade, sorry. <laughs> Jane. Yeah. Afternoon, guys. It's afternoon. I'm a little bit, got a spring in my step this morning. First time in the Foster era that I feel that New Zealand is heading somewhere. And we can actually see the game plan that, you know, Foster is trying to install. Um, I'm not sure if it's Foster or Schmidt, but there is a game plan at least. It's not just playing on your mistakes and counter-attack rugby that we've seen, you know, most of the time under Foster. But in overall, yesterday, I think the box were very sloppy in that first half. Um, uncharacteristic mistakes. A lot of knock-ons, handling errors. I'm not sure if it was a due factor. Um, they couldn't keep up to the pace of the game. 
Very concerning for me from a Primbok perspective. The Japanese-based players looked off. Um, you know, they couldn't match up to the pace of the game. Um, another concern is that, you know, the drivers from the Sharks, um, a few of the Sharks guys, I'm not sure if it's a confidence thing or not, but it's maybe it will a few, three, two or three games in, they'll get the confidence back. But you could see that, you know, um, a few of the Sharks guys, it was Eben as well, weren't their normal self. Um, from the Bok perspective, I do think, and I agree with you, they missed ESCOM. Um, I think ESCOM is... Uh, one of those open side flankers that is hard and he's a typical South African type open side. Um, from an All Blacks perspective, I must say they started well. They started strong, like Foster said in his press conference. Strong finish and a strong start, uh, and a strong start, really a strong start. I mean, 17 points up in the first 20 minutes against the box is a dream start. Tactical kicking was brilliant. Um, they knew they kicked with a plan. Every kick out of hand was with a plan. We never saw that many box kicks from Aaron Smith actually um, giving the ball back to the to the box when they did exit. Mm. The exit plays was brilliant, especially from kickoff time. You know, Talia, Jody Barrett, um, Scott Barrett from exit time and box kicking in 22 was brilliant. And the other thing that the main thing of the All Blacks is, especially in the last 20 minutes when the box did come on and the box got back into the game, they got a football back in the game. The All Blacks showed patience, a lot of patience in the deck. Looking at that drive, World Jordan, there wasn't any fancy passes or trying to force a pass. They showed patience, they trusted the system, they went close into contact, you know. So I must say, very, very impressed with the All Blacks yesterday. Box, a lot of learnings to do, but they'll get there. I think the Japanese guys just need to get up to speed of the game, yeah. and they'll get there. Oof, is that it? <laughs> Hugh, you can jump on. Yeah, um, I think Marx is the good example, isn't he, of someone who's playing out in Japan and you, you'd think that he'd be um, straight in. But is it... Sorry, I'm going to get the names confused. Is it Malherb who's the, the other hooker? Or no, is the other hooker. Sorry, yeah, sorry, getting names the wrong way around. Yeah. yeah I could be the commentator on the game, couldn't I, with uh, Willem Sirens um, of MP. That was, that was annoying. Anyway, um, uh, so yeah, so I think... You know, obviously after the game, I saw a lot of um, a lot of you guys who I follow on Twitter um, quite annoyed after the game, which is you know completely understandable. Um, we are all like that when our team loses. But I think, you know, I said on the in the preview that sometimes the box can hammer you, and the scoreboard doesn't say it. And sometimes I think New Zealand can put a big score on you, and it's not as much of a hammering as the scoreline says. I think this game was really, really close. I think, obviously, the first 20 minutes from New Zealand were sensational. I think after that, I think the box shaded the game. So you guys won the second half. Um, I think if the Colby try um, with the, uh, the the contest in the air where the yeah. GMO it was a very, very close call, I don't bl- blame Ben Whitehouse for not giving it, <laughs> but I think it was 50-50. If he'd have given it as well, um, I would have had no complaints. And also when you were held up right on half-time, if either of those tries are given, or both even in a parallel universe, it's obviously a different game. Like yeah. I say, you won the second half. So I think, you know, that that first half in particular was as good a test rugby as, as anyone ever plays. And you guys, like I said, the scoreboard didn't show it, but you guys were, were rocking it at that level. I thought in the first 20 minutes at times, in the first five minutes... The thing that made New Zealand's tries so impressive was the fact that your 
defence was equally impressive. And it was just the, I think, Scoop, you picked up on it. The little uh, uncertainty that um, Ioani gets in there um, when he's chasing across to support the ruck. Yeah. It allows Jordan to get back up and run back across. And then he's against prop forwards um, running in. I think it's literally, like, that's not even 1%, that's half a percent. So, <laughs> yeah, so I think you, you you can be disappointed that you didn't win, especially after all the hype before it, but it was a very, very close game. And as Vic has said, I think Twickenham in August is going to be a completely different, completely different oh, game, really. completely different result even. Um, yeah, I was just blown away as a neutral watching it. <laughs> See, sir? Your views, I mean, you were quite buoyant uh, on Friday, confident, and obviously things probably changed after the first 20 minutes. Uh, how do you see the match? Yeah, man. Um, I mean, I wasn't the only one uh, that was <laughs> confident. I think half of South Africa was confident uh, for good reasons, I think. Um, but something that we we did not expect or I did not expect was, was just the Springboks uh we're just slow off the mark um it's one of the it's it, it, it's it's you know six of one half dozen of the other type thing where it's um the Springboks were slow off the mark but the all blacks were unbelievable off the mark you know um from an all black pers- uh, perspective i really really enjoyed that 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 first off i really enjoyed watching them play you know that dynamic kicking game that is that is played at breakneck speed um, where they showed their superior aerial skills um, that that they have definitely been working on and been deliberate on working on, um, it's 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 bearing a lot of fruit for them and it's and it's a real worry for me uh, from a Springbok perspective uh, if if we if we don't sort of prepare f- uh, for these sort of uppercuts that we that we that we get in 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 tests like this because I feel that. We were jabbed a few times and we were, you know, uh, literally locked, uh, knocked off kilter. Uh, we couldn't recover. Why? Because player fitness. I think I think a, a lot of our players are are not match fit. Um, mm. Something not that I overlooked in, in my in my prediction or, or my 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 pregame sort of thinking. But yeah. I just didn't feel like a team this this experience where uh, we had quite quite a lot of experienced guys on the field would would let that uh, affect them. As much as it affected them, you know. I mean, we 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 basically lost the game in the um, in the first quarter, for me. And uh, I mean, it's not a big worry, but it's just something that we should keep at the back of our minds going forward. Uh, that it is very very possible that uh, the All Blacks can are capable of this and and continue to show us that they are. Um, just just a few reflection points in terms of you know like like some of the things like like I said one of them. That was very impressive for me was the dynamic kicking game, especially the the aerial skills. Uh, I was very disappointed in our in our um, uh, defense line integrity. It, like, I, I mean, Scott Berger was 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 saying it a lot in commentary, uh, and he mentioned a, a nice term that I like, which was a soft inside shoulders. Yeah, um, our guys weren't catching up, um, uh, you know, to the to the level that 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 we know them to do, the, um, you know, to do to cover that inside uh, soft shoulder. Um, and it, and it, and Will Jordan was was literally living off that that in that first twenty minutes first first half you know yeah uh, and it caused a lot of problem for the uh, for the Springboks um, and just you know role players just lastly role uh, role players in the in the 
Springboks. You know, Damien Dialendi, for me, very much off pace. I mean, he didn't have a, a bad game. He's, I think he's one of the top uh, carriers in the game from a Springbok perspective, and I think the top tackler in the in the back line. Mm. So he had a solid game, but I just think he's, he's, he's lacking match fitness, and, and I think he needs a, a, a bit more time under his belt for him to show uh, some good form. Uh, Makazole Mapimpi, uh, it's very disappointed in him as well. It's just, yeah, I mean, you know, he, he he looked very very vulnerable, and I think he was being targeted by by the by the All Blacks uh, in 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 terms of you know them them kicking on him. Mm. Um, and then uh, my prediction in terms of the back five, I, I just think the guys were were nowhere. I mean, the first carry in the game from from. From Jasper Visa, he loses the. He, I mean, he gets great momentum and then he loses the ball. Yeah, we're gonna and get. We're gonna get to the back. We're gonna get uh, to the forwards. Throughout that 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 first half, you know, our, our carries were very below par. Uh, de Yaga as well. Yeah, we're gonna get to the forwards just now. We're gonna get to the yeah. forwards. <laughs> I know yeah, you're forward. Yeah, you're. That's, that's, I know you're interested in those forward are my play. Initial thoughts. Fantastic, fantastic. <laughs> sure. Uh, Vuyo and Kofi, I did uh, direct. Uh, one question, or I want to direct a question to you guys regarding the backs. Uh, from my perspective, from what I've seen, obviously on the park, we did have Willemser playing at ten. Uh, obviously interchanging with uh with Vili with Vili Leroux, uh, in terms of attack. So Vili would come into into first receiver. Um, I notice there's a bit of a change, or there's a bit of a of an attitude change when Pollard is not playing. Uh, you often get a lot of Vili LaRue coming into first five or at, uh, at first receiver. Is it because there's not a lot of trust with regards to the guy you've given the number 10 jersey to? Or, uh, I don't know, is, 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 because I mean, if, if, Willem says playing 10. When I look at the game where South Africa played Australia last year, so they, obviously they first, the first game they lost, and then the second game they came guns blazing, they were attacking. Willem was first receiver. Even though Villileroux was playing at fullback, Villileroux would come in probably after fourth or fifth phase and then add another dynamic into the attack. But on Saturday, it was more Villileroux and Willem was kind of hidden at the back. Going back to the testing on, of aerial skills, the All Blacks noticed this when the ball was turned over and then obviously hit those aerial bombs. What's the reason behind Villeleroux then being first receiver if Willem says the number 10? One of you guys can jump onto it. Uh, I'll jump in and I'll let you guys go on it in a, in a second. I think just from my perspective, Villeleroux is just really good at being first receiver and a playmaker. I think um, having a playmaking fullback is a uh, an option that I'd really like to see Wales pursue uh, mm-hmm. from my point of view. And I think um, some other teams as well, you know, we had the kind of era where you have the second playmaker being the 12. Obviously, Dialende isn't that guy, which is fine because he's got other skills. Yeah, I think if you've got Vili Leroux at your disposal, um, using him as a playmaker, I think it is a great option. And it, it keeps the defence on the toes as well because they can't just watch Villain, sir. Um, I do want you don't have to answer this straight away. Um, on Friday, you guys were talking about the goal kicking and the kicking from hand and things. I didn't appreciate how much of a confusion it was. And you know, it goes back to your comment, Scoop, about having confidence in the guy. Mm. Um, 
you know, there's nothing in the rules that says the 10 has to kick to touch and take the goal kicks. But I think you had three different goal kickers and two different touchdown kickers in the game. That suggests to me that has it not been discussed in the lead yeah. That was the one thing from the box in that game that I th- that worried me, that made me think, gee, this is one area where you guys just seem, you don't Confused. really know what you're doing. Yeah. And you yeah. need a 85% plus level goal kicker um, in your team. And it seems like when Pollard's not around, it just goes out the window. Yeah, 100%. Uh, um, Kofi? Can I jump in there for yeah. a second? Um, yeah, man, like, I th- I think it's, uh, for me, from a coaching perspective, and, you know, I've got all the respect for the guys that are there, um, Ninaba, Stick, um, ETC, ETC, I've got plenty of respect for them, but um, a guy like Willemsa hasn't played that much football in the URC at 10, you know, Money Lubok is the one who's been playing at 10, Yeah. Um, and all of the all of the kicking responsibilities have been given to Mani Libok when he plays. So when you put a guy who's been playing the majority of the season at 12 and 15 and has been tried at 10, to be honest, for his for his franchise and hasn't performed that well, um, to put him in the Springbok jumper at 10, I don't know if it was a case of experimenting um, as to whether there is a situation where you know you've got your two top line number 10's injured and you've got him there um, you know he played a little bit of, of, of 10 towards the end of the last championship last year mm. so I think they might be exper- experimenting with him there but I think the experiment is is failing especially against the bigger teams um, and when I say bigger teams I mean the All Blacks uh, potentially Ireland etc you need to get somebody who's settled in that position and somebody who can drive the game I don't feel like Damien Willemsa was a game driver yesterday. You know, yeah. The game was being driven really by um, by the 15 in Ville de Roo. Yeah. And of course, most teams, most good teams in this day and age play with a dual pivot type system. You know, two guys who are driving the game effectively. But, you know, Willemsa, I don't feel like he's being given the confidence either with the kicking boot or with general play in order to do that. So what's the point for me? I don't see what the point of him, you know, being in that position is. If he's at 12 or if he's at 15, for sure, we can look at that. But at 10, you've got to be a game drive. You've got to be moving the game forward, you know, based on how the, the, the team needs you to play. And I don't think he was doing that. Mm. You compare that to to how Philly came in and, and threw the ball around a little bit. He's got that skill set in his armory. Um, and with the dominance of, of the forward pack, of the Springbok forward pack, uh, you just need to pick your runners effectively and, you know, you'll get go forward. So I don't actually think it's that much of a difficult thing to do, but I do think that um, it is being overcomplicated at this moment in time. And, like, it just creates confusion amongst the guys that are playing within that system. Yeah, Vickers, as a former backline player yourself, uh, your thoughts? And a coach now, obviously. <laughs> I think... Um... I think what what Kofi is talking about is spot on. Um, I mean, for me, for me, it all boils down to those kind of decisions are made within the week of training, because you can t- sort of see who's who's running the show at training, who's talking more at training, who's doing more more directing at training, and 
maybe it is possible that Velumse hasn't done that at training, so which is why they would uh, obviously be talking to Vili about taking over the role uh, on on, uh, on second to third phases. Um, for me, they, that, that's what it, it, we, we, we will never understand or how it, why it's been done based on the fact that uh, we're not at training. We don't see how they train, what are they doing, because ultimately for, for that kind of selection to be done, it's the possibility of it working and also and what if the guys doing their training because that's the only reference you can only uh, talk about something that you've trained that you've that you've um, you've implemented in training so it's possibly that it has been done in training and again Valencia is still finding his strides in the Springbok jersey so if he's finding his strides in the Springbok jersey and he's, and he's been put in that in that role he's not going to be the same as Pollard he's not going to do the same as Pollard but if if you are the coaching staff and you you're saying to the guy look we want you to play 10 Give him all the roles because that's the only way you can judge whether he's, he's, he's passed or not. And in this case, we're talking about Vili Root stepping up and playing um, second to third phase coming in. What? How are you going to review and say, but Willem said you were poor in the game. Mm. So that's for me, that's that's one of the things that we we, we as coaches tend to, to, to forget and tend to miss out uh, in terms of how we're giving the young players the confidence to take the role. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Enda, you want to jump in as well? Yeah, just a quick one. On, on is it like I think Kofi, you, you might have just touched on it there. Is it just potentially the case that yeah, the Springboks are tr- they're using these games to figure out who who's going to be that that third or fourth man on the flight in terms of covering the ten position? Like we all know, Pollard's going to be fit, right? You've got Yantes, you've got Libok. Like, is it going to be the case that you could potentially? Potentially see maybe Libok or Yankees, excuse me for the pronunciation, by the way. Um, could it be the case that he'll cover maybe one of those and one of those won't make it to the World Cup squad? And that, that's what they're, they're trying to build that depth and they maybe want to have a different squad member in there instead. Could that be something like, like so the reason they're picking Williams is just to see if he's, if he can stand in and then they can maybe not bring someone like Libok, which I think would be a shame because Libok's been in great form, especially in the URC. Um, just wondering if you, what, what you guys think about that. Yeah, I think someone's definitely going to miss out. Like, there's no doubt about it. Um, and, I mean, that's just part of the game. It's part of the makeup of, you know, high-performance high performance, high performance uh, play. I do think that um, there are guys yesterday that I feel, uh, because there's so few games to go, actually played themselves out, potentially, of the World Cup squad, um, based on that first half alone. Now, I know that guys are, you know, you go based on trust and you go based on you know what guys can do but like you said or like somebody else earlier said if you can't kick at 85% and um, you can't basically dictate the game the way that the the coaches and the way that your team needs to happen I don't think you're putting yourself you're shooting yourself in the foot and I think I don't think Damien will be looked at as a 10 anymore I think he'll be looked at as a 15 and probably a 12, and maybe a third or fourth choice backup 10. I mean, Faf, I don't remember the last time Faf was kicking consistently. I'm not talking about his percentage, I'm talking about kicking for goal. I don't remember the last time Faf was kicking for goal. And then Kobe, who isn't a recognized goal kicker, was then also kicking for goal afterwards. So it speaks a lot about the trust that they have and the confidence that he has either in himself or what the coaches have in him. Tough. Uh, Jade? Yeah, so I want to touch on this, based South Africa. So we're going with a 6-2 split, right? 
And it's something that we've been going on for a while is the 6-2 split. And it is a big strength of ours. I mean, it worked yesterday if South Africa got back into the game through the 6-2 split. Now, you can't have Lipok, who just plays 10, on the bench. You can't. Then you're going to have to have another back that can play 9 and he can play 12, 13, you know. You're going to have to really shuffle your back and have, have a lot of utility backs. So, in terms of the fly of the first five, the, the old school rule of a first five is, is your quarterback, your first five and your captain plays whole game. They're your drivers, they should play whole game. You, you base your game around them. You see it with Ntamak, you've seen it now with Mwanga, you've seen it around the world, you know, with Kort and everybody. So I think the confidence from the box is that Pollard is the man. Pollard will drive this team. However, why the Trang Willem say 10 is because of the 6-2 split. They need him on the bench. Ideally, he won't come on to replace Pollard in case instead of an a injury. He most likely end up at 12 or 15. But you need to have Willem on the bench. So that's why the 6-2 split is going on. <coughs> Not 100%. Well said. That's a great point. Yeah, very, very, very good point. Now moving into that forward pack, Sisa, I know you're a former forward yourself. Uh, you've played at the highest level. In terms of front row, are you in, are you, how happy are you with the type of front row that started and the type of front row that came on from the bench, from the Springbok side? And also looking at the All Blacks, how they manage their substitutions in terms of uh, the third and final quarter of the game. Listen, uh, uh, I mean, I'm I'm very happy with the Springbok uh, group of uh, front rows, right? Um, it's very experienced, um, very good players, um, also quite quite different from each other as well, which which helps, I think. Um, I think um, in terms of the the guys that started. Um, like I said, they were very slow off the mark. They were very much under pressure. I think France, France Maherba was 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 under immense pressure from from De Groot and 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 we all saw that. Uh, he handled himself well in 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 a lot of the the, the cases, but uh, De Groot obviously gave gave the All Blacks a lot of stability um, for for them to to mount their their attack. I was very impressed with 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 Ethan De Groot. Um, uh, very, very impressed. I, I think he, he, he had a very solid um, um, game. Um, in terms of, you know, the guys that came on from a South African perspective, I mean, we all saw it, the difference they made. They they, they, they brought edge, or they brought edge into the game. Uh, they brought momentum into the game. I think um, everyone's going to cry for Malcolm Marks to, to start more games and play and play for longer uh, for the next few weeks. So, I mean, listen. He's 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 earned that opinion. Um, I think he, out of all these Japanese players, I think he's he's showing uh, his class that it doesn't really matter where where he plays as long as he does play. Um, uh, he he was very impressive, and I was also um, um, impressed by by the the effort that that the other two guys, uh, uh, Thomas as well as uh, what's his name, um, Mister Incredible. I just forget his name. Koch, Koch. Yeah. That that he, that 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 they brought onto onto the the second half. So, but but in terms of the pack itself, uh, both packs um, definitely New Zealand outplayed us. I mean, listen, I I made a call, which I still still stand by. By the way, um, Shannon Frizzell had a had an amazing uh, uh, game. 
Um, especially that, that first 20 minutes, he did sort of uh, fall back into his normal game uh, after, after that, 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 you know, hell-bent 20 minutes. Uh, but they definitely had an edge over us. I was, I was kind of disappointed in in uh, uh, number eight from, from New Zealand. I also now forget his name. Severe. <laughs> for some reason. Uh, he, he, he was quite, kind of quiet in the game, but he did what he had to. Um, and and he got his team over the line. Very disappointing was that back five that I was speaking of. I was expecting more. I think we we got more answers uh, answered. Oh, oh, oh yeah, uh, we we got more answers from a Mostad perspective. Um, I, listen, from him, I wanted him to give me a solid forty minutes, solid sixty minutes for uh, Dwayne or or uh, Peter Steph to come on. Uh, but he was he was very disappointing uh, for me. Uh, he 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 never you know settled in the game. Um, yes, he gave us great options in the lineup, but we didn't even contest in the lineup, which is which is another thing that that confused me a bit um, because his 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 major strength is is that is that, and uh, that's why he is in the team. But I don't know, guys. It, it, it was a very disappointing and 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 you know static performance from the uh, from the Springbok forwards. Speaking of uh, the forward pack, should Peter, uh, not Peter Steph, should Eben, should have Eben started this game looking at performance now? I understand obviously he had uh, a very difficult week. Um, yeah, and obviously he made the choice of wanting to start. But as a coach now, in a situation of this magnitude in a in a game of this magnitude yes it's a, it's a risk obviously uh, if it pays off we would look at this in a different light if it doesn't pay off you look at it in a different light as well but i think you you want to jump in here i mean looking at his yeah. performance in the I'm game saying, it's ask him to layer whether he thinks um he <laughs> made he made he made a big hit. No, definitely he made a big hit. Yeah. But I mean, in terms um, of influence, it's a bit a very experienced player. Jade spoke yeah. about um, sharks players as well in this game that were kind of off the pace in some way to some degree. And also, I want to ask the same question now. Not moving away from it's a bit per se, but like coming from a team that doesn't perform well as well in a in a in a provincial tournament, etc. Like for example, the Auckland Blues didn't perform well, but their players are playing quite well, decently for the All Blacks. But the Sharks players aren't really getting getting to their strides yet. Rio, you want to jump in here, and then Cesar after that. Yeah, so I'll just touch on the it's a bit. Um Situation. I think for me, I've always made it a rule uh, as a coach that you, when when there's that kind of situation where there's grief or or there's a bad bad um, <clears throat> news from family side, I've always said, don't allow the player to play because it's two things: emotionally, they're not stable, and then secondly, um, as much as they want it do it again it's they they it's almost like they, they are distracted mentally why i'm saying this is because you we all know you perform at your peak at your happiest moments you perform at your peak at your comfortable moments in life when you're going through something tough it's very hard to perform 
why is it very hard to perform because you mentally you your mind is not at what at where it's supposed to be so which is why I've always made it a rule that rather give them time off give the player off I would have, I would have rather said I would have rather said if I was in that kind of situation as a as a coach I'd have rather said send the guy home send him home let him spend time with his family bro you're going to start against Argentina and you're going to be the captain against Argentina and once we do that you almost telling him that look you will start the cap you will be captain against Argentina so that's then you can play for your father because then by then he would have been laid he would have been laid it would have been a couple of uh, a week a week or, or, or a week and a half of just not thinking about rugby just focusing on his family and then you ask him to obviously step up against Argentina so that's just how i feel about the situation but i, I mean a lot of people have different opinions about yeah, 100% see sir then coffee yeah, after it, it, yeah i'll be very quick I, 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 i think from a springbok camp perspective springbok management perspective they were tossed in a very difficult uh, situation where this guy who is an influential a character and a role player within the team and a leader within the team needs game time and they need obviously to see him as well um in a in a very important year right from a yeah from from a personal perspective my perspective i i personally wouldn't have of of played him like like i definitely agree with with what you're saying i would have probably said that he must go home and take some time off and then uh we we reengage when we when when they are done and we are going to face argentina but yeah it's it's a it's a very tough call um but from a rugby perspective and a springbok management perspective i understand why he ended up starting or play sorry yeah kofi now the guys have touched on it no need for me to <laughs> your hand was up the whole time <laughs> No, fair enough, fair enough. Uh and I want to come back to you now and uh, and Jade uh if you guys can share obviously your your thoughts in terms of uh the backs of 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 the All Blacks and obviously the defensive uh, aspects of their game as well. What are what are what are the most improved aspects that you've seen from New Zealand uh in the past maybe let's say last year playing against Ireland and then end of the year tour to what we saw in the last two weeks Argentina last week and then the Springboks this weekend I think we we've kind of well what's interesting really with their with the team especially that started yesterday was that I don't know if we all would have predicted that team like are we sure I think everybody like would say that Moanga should be the starting 10 some would say maybe Bowden should be actually I don't know mm. but I I think it's this is going to be their settled backline i think this will be the the backline that they put out um in the opening game of the world cup to be honest um and i just think they've they've they just know what they're doing and i think somebody touched on it earlier they're not just living off scraps or living off mistakes they're actually and again this is where you start to see the the joe schmidt um influence on the team where they're starting to pull off more moves so obviously all this has helped and i've said this before in previous um sessions that yeah. it is all built on what the pack do for you up front Um, but I do st- think we're going to start to see more of that, just more set plays and um, just more kind of thought behind what they're doing in terms of moves. Because again, when Joe Schmidt was in charge of Ireland, he was so smart at analysing the opposition and coming up with moves based on what the the opposition were weak at or based at, you know, he, he would, and like the word in the street is that Joe Schmidt was just obsessed and <laughs> um, with looking at clips um, of, of the opposition players. And um, so he really looks out for weaknesses. So I think, 
that's what we're really going to start to see and that's what we are starting to see now in the last couple of weeks yeah. um, and I think that's really exciting and it's frightening I think for other teams um, but for me those would be the, the standouts Nice Jade uh, before you start Jade I uh, just want to also add another element to the same question it's the same question Remember uh, 2008, 2009, I think, the All Blacks were kind of struggling on aerial skills and they had to bring in, uh, who's this guy from the Hurricanes now, on the wing? Uh, Corey Jane. Corey, Corey Jane. Jane, Corey Jane. Because Sivivatu, Joe Rokotoko were really, really uh, struggling and Peter De Villiers and his uh, coaching staff really targeted those areas. But now, for, fast forward, tw- 2023, Talea and uh, Jordan have now really asserted themselves in those aerial uh, in that aerial department i mean are we seeing the similar uh, similarities between that era and currently now basically kind of finding their feet and their rhythm under Fozzie and Schmidt and uh, and Jason Ryan well it's difficult to really say you are because i mean if you look at the similarities between all of the right wings partelia i mean narawa and will jordan are very similar in terms that they have a kicking game as well so they have they have a kicking game as well and that helps them you know especially in the aerial aspect then we do have if you're looking at this the way that even super rugby in in super rugby we have a lot of kicking but it's, the kicking game is not it's not so much kicking the ball away. It's contestable kicks. If you look at the way New Zealand teams play derbies, it's, it's very contestable kicks. And that's 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 important. Um, the other thing, if you're looking at the defence, the defence from New Zealand, a concerning thing for me is they're still not getting a lot of turnovers at breakdown. Mm. They are still, I think they, they're way behind in terms of turnovers. South mm. um, Africa never had any line breaks Yearly yesterday, and hence they got into New Zealand's 22 just by brute force, slow poison, um, you know, getting first one of runners sometimes, then sometimes playing it out of the back, but eating again a pod wider. But you know, it was, it was straight man on running, and they did hurt New Zealand at times, although I do think New Zealand's defense was well. But if you look at the overall aspect that Scott McLeod needs to look at, he considered five tries in two games. Is that a good defense mm. if you want the World Cup? Um, I think there's still a lot of work to be done there. Yeah. The other thing, if we just look at it as well, last thing I want to touch on, to add on everybody, I just put this impressive stat. Eh? So New Zealand's top tackler was Shannon Fritzell with 14 tackles. Yeah. The next top tackler in the game was Peter Stettertoy with 13 tackles. So who is Off the bench. one of the best blind sides in the world? Off the bench, imagine. Off the bench. Cheapest. That's insane. But yeah, it also goes to show, I mean, how much possession you've had as well, right, uh, at the end of the day. Because if you don't have a possession, you're obviously going to make a lot of tackles within the within the game itself. All right. Cool. Now moving on to Mr. Eddie Jones, Michael Checker. Big surprise. Hugh, I'm going to start off with you on this one. I mean, honeymoon, Eddie Jones, is it over? Because now that he is 0-2 currently. Did it ever start? Um, <laughs> I think, you know, I hear what you're saying about big surprise, but I think we called it on Friday. We said yeah. uh, Argentina are better away from home. I think a few of the guys on, on the on the space said that. I think Ender said that it was going to be a poor quality game, which it was, in my opinion. <laughs> and um, we said that 
Australia are conceding too many tries. You know, I I wonder if it's just because I've done so much research and so much looking at the statistics for Australia recently and all Australian teams, the Super Rugby teams and even the under-20s team. Um, there's almost kind of nothing really I've got left to say that I haven't said already. These guys concede a crazy amount of tries. Like, they scored 31 points at home in a test match and didn't win. Like, do you realise how rare that is how unusual it is mm. there's something like seven percent of test matches both teams score over 30 percent uh sorry both teams score over 30 points um australia have been in test matches where both teams scored over 33 times in the last 12 months um it's crazy and even when you know when uh marky mark i think it was uh yeah Intercepted at the end, it looked like he'd won it. I mean, as a Wales fan, I was getting flashbacks to uh, um, yeah, <laughs> uh, Kirtley Beale um, against us in Cardiff. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'll ever get over that. Um, but that would have been a smash and grab for Australia, and that's on their home turf. I mean, if you look at the stats of the game, um, Argentina dominated possession by a long way. Um, Australia made 200 tackles which uh, that might sound like they've got a good defence, 200 tackles, but they still conceded four tries. Mm. Argentina's attack, I think Argentina will feel like they left two or three tries out there, maybe. Yeah. Um, there was one in particular in the second half where you, everyone was had their head in their hands going, how, how have they not scored there? It was unbelievable. I think Eddie Jones has um, told the All Blacks to watch out. Um, I don't know, is he telling the scoreboard guy to watch out? You're going to need a, you're going to need more bigger numbers? Um <laughs> Yeah, so I think uh, I've got nothing left to say on Eddie Jones in Australia. Um, if Eddie's got some kind of master plan um, for the World Cup, it's a hell of a plan because he's got us all fooled right now. Yeah, fair, 100%. Will you wanted to jump in on the Aussies? No, I just wanted to touch on what you were talking about. I think, I mean, there's nothing we've seen from Australia and... For me, if he's telling the New Zealand, the All Blacks to watch out, he probably should be getting in a defense coach today and trying to find a high-profile defense coach to come and work with the team for two weeks. Otherwise, it's going downhill. I can't see anything Australia is doing because when the other team has the ball, flip, they gain meters. And mm. it makes sense why South Africa is has why South Africa with their strong ball carriers. Uh, we're gaining so much momentum. Yeah. Two phases. You on your 22, you on the 10, you on the other 10, you on the 22. That's four phases. So you can't, there's no way, not in international rugby. And I think he really has to look at what what um, resources he has within his management and find a, a very high-profile defense coach fast. Yeah, yeah. That is something that Eddie Jones has struggled with, though, when he was at England. Like, defence coaches not as much but backs coaches and attack coaches they were like leaving after six months he I, he must have gone through seven or eight different backs or attack coaches in his time in England where they would all up and leave after one Six Nations or one uh, summer tour so yeah then again is this all part of Eddie's grand plan because it's not like any kind of grand plan I've ever seen we need to get squ- uh, Squidge Rugby onto this onto this uh, conversation as well. Yeah, I was <laughs> worried that Squidge Rugby was going to unfollow me after slagging off Eddie, but unfortunately he hasn't. <laughs> Kofi, um, Hugh touched on one point which I also uh, kind of thought about uh, in terms of what we saw um, in his 
last days or last weeks of the end of the year tour in Eddie's uh, coaching and obviously what transpired in England. He was kind of losing the plot in a way. He kind of lost, or not kind of, he lost to Argentina in the first game at the end of the year. He was kind of embarrassed for 70 minutes by the All Blacks. Obviously, they, he, his job was saved, basically, by the comeback. And then the following week, he was embarrassed by the, by the Springboks. And now we're seeing a similar pattern uh, within, the, within the Australian, uh, uh, the Wallabies side as well. Is this the end? I mean, is this his last hurrah, basically? Ah, guys, he's only played, it's only been two games, come on. Yeah, but I'm taking it back from the end of the year. As a coach. As a coach. As a coach. Um, Yeah, I mean, at some point you you do, you know, as a coach, you find very few coaches who are very good at um, kind of like getting better and learning more as they go and kind of changing things as they go and I think this is what uh, coaching is very much about being humble as well you know knowing exactly what you're good at knowing what you're not good at um, and I, I do feel like you know humility is, is not necessarily Eddie's strong point also in terms of like the amount of coaches that Eddie's gone through um, 100% on that but also as the caliber of coach um, like when he got when, when John Mitchell quit, that sparked like a whole lot of thoughts on my side. John Mitchell is a very tough nut to crack. He's a tough nut on tough nuts, you know? <laughs> and for him to 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 be like, hey, dog, uh, I think I'm out, you know? I'm not keen anymore. Yeah. I think that was a, yeah, that was a, a big one. Um, in terms of the style of play, I think it also puts into context how well Dave Rennie was doing. Um, and at this point in time, I mean, I watched Australia against Argentina yesterday, uh, begrudgingly, because um, that's generally when I go do my groceries. You know? um, <laughs> it wasn't a, I mean, they made it sound exciting. It wasn't a good game of rugby. I mean, with penalty advantage, 10 meters out, 15 meters out, the, the RGs were kicking the ball, kind of like hoping that they'd get something out of it. There wasn't really like, anything you know to write home about to be quite honest so i think from both teams i think one they're lacking players they're lacking quality and then also second secondly you also have got to make sure that you you're building systems around the type of players to improve them to improve their decision making to ensure that they've got you know the right things happening in and around what they're doing so um i'm not completely convinced that eddie is done for but I do think time is not on his hands because of, you know, the World Cup beckoning. Um, I still think there, there is a quality coach in there. I think there's definitely yeah. somebody who's got plenty of, of knowledge. I mean, we all know the influence he had in 2007 in South Africa winning the World Cup then. We all know the influence that he had with Japan. We all knew the influence that he had with England going all the way to the final. So I think there's still a good coach there. I think the quality of players just isn't good enough from Australia, they just aren't there. Mm. Um, and that's evidence also by their Super Rugby results as well. Uh, Fair. But getting guys like Quade Cooper playing in, in Japan at 34, 30, how old is Quade now? 35, 34? Somewhere um, around there. 35. Somewhere there. Um, where you've got younger guys like Noah Lolasio, um, you've got younger guys Carter like Carter Gordon. Gordon. These yeah. are the guys that should be playing. These are the guys that should be, you know, making a running for this World Cup. 
these are guys that have been playing Super Rugby for the last three years. So, not to go on too long about it, but I, I think the the players that he's got there, he can't rely too much on the old guys because the old guys are not going to give him any juice. Jade and then uh, Vuyo. Yeah, so I just wanted to mention this based on Australia. So you have Eddie Jones that came in with a lot of, I can say, bad form as a coach, okay? But that was a different team. And then he's coaching a bunch of guys that's getting 50s and 40s every day, every game against them in Super Rugby. The squad is not, they, they need to win. They need to win a game to get some confidence somewhere. Mm. Because you can see this, the, the, the heads are dropped. You can see it. I mean, if you look at Australian teams, when they're at their best, is when they're winning games. And you can see the flair. I mean, you looked at Mark, um, Marky Markman, now in Tawasi yesterday. Yeah. And you see him yesterday. He's, he's the only one playing with confidence. He's the only one playing with no fear, not worried of getting, you know, a big score against him. He's the only one that's, that's, that's jamming. Australia needs confidence. I'm not sure if they're going to get it 50 days to go to the World Cup, but that's the big problem with, with Australia. They have no confidence. Vickers. No, I just wanted to pose a question to the to the group. I mean, if you look at the number 10, the number 10 jersey for Australia, that's always been a problem ever since, Jesus, ever since... I, I mean, a lot of people will rate uh, Bernard Foley, but I, I, I've never... Rated him. I, I Iceman. Yeah, he's Mr. Ice for me, but he's, I've never rated him as a, as a, you know, when you look at the teams that are going around, I mean, we, we're talking special players. When you look at Australia, they, they are tens. I mean, Cooper is nowhere. They're 15, nowhere. And those are the most important positions we, we discuss in the space. We're talking about, we're talking about Damien Williams, sir. We're talking about, uh, we're talking about Villain Leroux. We're talking about we're talking about um, uh, Golden Barrett. We're talking about Moana, and you look at Australia's ten and fifteen combination, and you're like, "Where are? What are they doing? What's what's happening in their country with in terms of those positions?" Yeah, massive, massive, massive they issues. They'll be there. They'll be there. Given a few years, Carter Gordon and Joseph Saili, they will be the two against the Lions. <laughs> it, it, uh, just on Cooper as well. I'm not sure why he's selected. Like he is a running fly half as well, and that's not Eddie Jones' style as well. That that's what I kind find quite baffling about his decision. But maybe on that point, it's just because there is nobody else within Australian rugby. I don't know like who, who can step up to the plate. I just find it strange that he's the he's a running fly half, in my opinion. Was Foley playing for the A side against Tonga? Yeah, he yeah, played he on Saturday. Played. He played. It's crazy. These are these are players that Australia have already dropped for not being good enough and now they're back in because there's nobody else um, it's crazy yeah, 100%. I mean, player personnel is a big, big issue uh, just to close off, gents uh, thank you very much Eddie Jones said one thing that uh, basically stuck with me uh, post-match regarding what he's trying to do and trying to implement in terms of design architecture game plan philosophy he said he alluded to the fact that coaching Australia currently is like having one of your old cars, you know, uh, at Datsun 400, he mentioned. So if you're trying to fix a gearbox uh, this week, then next week the brakes aren't working and you try and fix the brakes next week, then the engine uh, is faulty the other week. So he's kind of stuck in a situation where he's trying to put everything together, assemble a car that's going to be fully operational, but there's issues week in, week out. 
so that's something that we kind of also have to think about. Uh, Enda, you want to jump in there? <laughs> no, no, I just, again, for me, it comes back to the decision. I, I really don't understand why Rennie was replaced. Um, like, with, with this amount of, like, prep before a World Cup, I just think it was absolutely crazy to put him in there, to put Jones in there. Um, like, he has no time to build a style of play, in my yeah. opinion. So I just think it's absolutely baffling. Um, and I don't think we're going to see much of him as a result. Fair enough. Cesar, you want to close off? No, no, no. Everyone, everyone said, said uh, how I feel about Australia right now. But yeah, that, that last point there, uh, very, very valid. Dave Rennie was, was uh, wrong and, and, um, and maybe, you know, did, made mistakes in a lot of things. But I don't think he deserved to be um, dropped at the, you know, a year out from the World Cup. And now Australia's put themselves in a position where Literally, there's, there's, there's no getting out of this hole. Uh, Eddie Jones is in a hole, and I, I'd love to see how, how he's going to get out of it. Okay, you can close us off there, Hugh. Yeah, just quickly, we're talking about this game. We haven't mentioned Argentina at all. Zero. Uh, then they won the game. Zero. Uh, <laughs> they, did anybody think that Argentina were particularly good? I didn't. I wasn't that impressed with them. They had a lot of ball, and there wasn't much deception in their attack. They... The backs were receiving the ball from ascending starts. Did what? what do, do you think Argentina were much better from the All Blacks game, or do you think it was just Australia? It was all about Australia being bad. Those are two bad teams playing against each other. <laughs> simply, simply put, two very, very average teams. What are they rated? Seventh and eighth in the world? Eighth and ninth in the world? Those are two extremely average teams play against each other I mean I remember they, they I haven't in the last 10 years who the hookers were the hookers been Montoya and Creevy it's still the same guys I think I saw Nico Sanchez who I haven't seen play proper rugby since 2016 2017 maybe you know for the Jaguares and five years six years later he's the reserve 10 if I'm not mistaken like mm. there's there's you know check around them up and They'll be emotional, the guys will cry. But the reality is that when it comes to deception, when it comes to effective um, running rugby, attacking rugby, etc., they're not going to have that. They're not going to have that. And Australia were exactly the same. They, they really didn't have that. The old dogs like Craig Cooper, they don't have the footwork that they used to have. Yes, they've got the passing ability. Maybe the mind is still there, but the body isn't. You know, I think there was a situation where Karebi scored. Um, Quaid had a one-on-one. I expected him to finish, knowing Quaid. He got tackled, he had to offload, and I was like, you know, maybe it's time. His kicking game is good, but maybe you should be looking at younger guys that can put opportunities like that to bed. Um, and just one more thing from my side. Sorry, going back to the SA game, I know we went in 20-25 minutes as we spoke about it. When SA started playing well, we saw them with ball in hand. Um... And when they have ball in hand with their big guys, they can offload the ball. They can play around with the ball. You've got Achias Neyman. You've got Peter Stiftoy. These are guys that can go over the gain line. And I think that's why the likes of Vili look so good also, because you're hitting big ball carriers on the outside shoulder that are finding those soft shoulders, mm. soft targets, and it's allowing them to have go forward instead of kicking the ball all of the time. You know, New Zealand have got a very passive um, defensive structure. And with that passive decision structure, you're always going to make meters. When Kobe scored his try, I think it was on sixth phase or seventh phase, and 
they had actually attacked from the 40 meter. You know, to make 40 meters in seven phases in international rugby, that's actually quite special. And so, I'm, I'm not happy. In the next 10 days, they're looking to do something similar. Sorry to go back, but that's no, no, my no, no worries. I'm not happy with Talia though. Uh, two of those tries was him shooting up by himself instead of just being patient and allowing the box to actually pass the ball. And obviously the defense would have been more aligned in that aspect. So those two tries but by the... You've got to make a decision though. Not fair, but we've got, I've got numbers on the inside that are watching, that are ready. So, so I can't just shoot by myself. Are we talking about shift or are we talking about looking at where the threat might be and attacking where that threat is in terms of defense? There was literally a three on four. I don't think the Springboks were going to score in that in that perspective, especially on the Kobe side, even though that ball was a forward pass. I don't see Springboks scoring if if Talia doesn't shoot up, in all honesty. Like, if you can rewatch that phase play, I don't see Springboks scoring in that corner if Talia doesn't shoot up. Vili Leroux, well spotted. As soon as Talia shoots up, he skips over him, Kobe scores. He had two forwards next to him. I don't see any threat. And you had, you had Jordy, Jordy Barrett... Uh, and someone else on the inside that were very much capable of defending against those Springbok forwards. And Talia decides what? Now nah, I'm going to sh- shoot up. And then Look, once I he shot it's up... something that's been close to the, to the wingers these days as well. So which is horrible. I think... Yeah, but uh, then you need you need to be like a look on your arm to shoot up, I believe. Like read the but play. But Mapimpi shot up when Will Jordan made that break. Oh. You know that. Yeah, yeah, I saw Mapimpi shooting up. up. Yeah, yeah. Jordan um, Barrett threw that ball over the top. Will Jordan got it. Obviously, he got tackled by Vinny. He picked it up quickly, went again. But that space wouldn't have been created. So he basically made a decision on where the ball was going as the ball was in the air. Mm. You know? So I think wingers are being coached to do that, to stop the immediate threat. And then... But if the ball hasn't moved, why are we jumping up? On the outside. If the ball hasn't moved, why are we jumping up? I care. I care. <laughs> story for another day story for another day gentlemen thank you very much and uh, thank you very much to our listeners uh we gonna we're not gonna have a preview this coming friday so we'll have a nice gentle talk on sunday to kind of build it up into next week big weekend next uh next weekend uh play the slow cup and obviously argentina are planning to surprise the Springboks on home soil right gents enjoy the rest of your sunday thank you very no much no channel um, apology for you <laughs> it's one of the best games I've seen him play ever. Ever. You heard me speak about him, bro. <laughs> Thanks once again, Jens. Thanks to the listeners. See you guys next week, Sunday. Cheers, guys. Have a great weekend. Cheers. Cheers, Thanks, guys. guys. Take care. Bye bye. The heat is on.